Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Becoming an adult is hard. There are decisions around earning and paying for a higher ed degree, to getting a job and finding a place to live. Now imagine making those big decisions and not having family support to lean on. For youth in the foster care system, the state of Connecticut is their legal guardian. What happens to them when they age out of the child welfare system? It's the focus of a new report from Connecticut Voices for Children looking at the obstacles these young adults face, obstacles that have been exacerbated in a pandemic. Coming up where we live, we hear from the co-author of that report, and we talk to the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. First, joining us are two women who work at a local nonprofit that provides support to these young adults. On Zoom with us is Whitney Rodriguez and Yamaya Gibson, both student coordinators for Sun Scholars. That's a nonprofit run by former foster and adopted youth. Uh, Whitney and Yamaya, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank good you. morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for the warm welcome. And you can join us as well, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Whitney, I'll begin with you. I mentioned Sun Scholars, so tell us a little bit about how this organization started and how you got involved. Okay, so how I got involved, I was currently attending Gateway Community College, and I got a phone call one day um, about a program that was going to be starting at Central um, in New Britain. And when I got the phone call, it was this guy named Christopher Scott, which is my boss. He was like, hello, I'm Chris. And I'm like, hello. And he was telling me about this program that he wanted to pilot at Central, which was the school that I was going to transfer from leaving Gateway. So he was telling me about this program and he was like, I have this great idea and it's going to be um, former foster youth. And he was like, I don't want it to be a program about, you know, people that have been in the system or anything negative, but I, it's more of a support group. You know, I'm going to be helping re- register for classes, um, enrollment. We're going to do, um, you know, basically community activities and, and things of that nature. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I was like more excited because, you know, the stigma of growing up in foster care or any part of child welfare, you know, it's like nerve wracking. You don't want anyone in your business. So when I got on campus, we connected and he was just telling me like all the ideas he wanted to do with the program and all the other students that he wanted to introduce me to. So the idea of the program was basically peer mentorship and just to be, have support throughout college. So we always had support on campus from Chris. And then from there, the program got bigger. We had a bunch of students. It it just took off. So Chris basically got funding to start a nonprofit. We changed the name, we relocated. And I was Sun Scholars Inc., which stands for succeed, uplift, and nurture. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned growing up in foster care. How does your experience uh, growing up and even what you have gone through today inform the work that you do with these other young adults? Well, I would say that 
you know, just growing up and having, you know, my own situation going on and my own problems, you know, being, being that I grew up with all these things and I, you know, I felt alone for majority of my life. So working in this field really, you know, it, it, it just, it just does something for me. Like I'm able to help someone, well, not just someone, a bunch of students that basically went through the same trials and tribulations that I did. So I'm able to assist them. I'm able to understand. I'm able to be like, yes, I know how to navigate this problem. I know where to, you know, basically show you where to go, who you could talk to and how to get help. And you don't have to feel like you don't want to ask for help because I remember being there. So it's, it's very relatable. And it's, you know, it's, it, it makes me happy when I'm able to help them. And Yamaya, I'm wondering if you could uh, chime in about more about the resources that Sun Scholars is providing young adults, uh, especially when we think about how to connect young people to programs that can help them, you know, in a time that has a lot of stress, you know, figuring out what, you know, where to live, how you're going to, uh, what you're going to do after you graduate and, and having that support, why it's so important. Yes, yes. So um, some of the things that Whitney and I, um, as well as the rest of the Sun staff do, um, and that Sun truly embodies, um, we support the population of youth from 18 to 24 um, throughout post-secondary education. So more specifically, that's programs such as four-year universities, community colleges, which Whitney and I both attended prior to transferring to CCSU, um, and then also students who are involved in trade schools. Um, so Sun has a hyper-focus, or prioritizes rather, a hyper-focus on academics, um, resource coordination, career readiness, as well as career navigation post-graduation. Um, education and retention is one of our like main things that we're trying to improve. Um, only less than 10% of foster youth are completing their educational um, or trade programs and actually graduating, walking the stage, getting to like truly feel that achievement. Um, and then uh, more of a holistic goal that Sun really tries to, or prides ourselves working towards, is really helping students build upon their self-efficacy and de develop who they are as a person and who they aspire to be in the future. Um, and really what that looks like is basically helping them define, I guess, their own versions of success and then supporting them along the way and obtaining whatever that looks like for them. When we talk about youth and the foster care system and um, the um, the moment where they age out, so for uh, you know, for people who are unfamiliar with the child welfare system, at the age out mark, uh, you know, for for students to be able to continue with their education, tell us about the programs that exist and and where are the gaps in making sure that uh, these young adults know that there are resources out there, Yamaya. Right. So youth either age out at 23 if they choose to continue um, being involved with the system after graduating at 18 from high school. Um, so either 23 or they age out after they graduate from whatever program they were enrolled in. Um, and DCF does offer quite a few um, supporting resources like the Chafee program, which offers which allows youth to um, receive housing subsidies, so rent, um, living stipends. Um, they receive, basically, um, they're able to prioritize school as a job. Um, and as long as they maintain um, and keep up with those academic requirements, 
um, and keep their GPA up, then their rent and um, groceries, living expenses are compensated for. Um, there are also other resources that DCF does offer, and there's a whole list of them. Um, however, the issue is not necessarily having these programs. It's um, getting these youth connected to the program. So it's a connectivity issue. It's that um, these programs exist. These youth don't know that these programs exist. Um, and we need to get more liaisons, more people who are able to bridge that gap and get the youth connected with the resources and vice versa. Um, and another issue is that these youth, even when they are connected to these resources um, that can really help them, it's hard to understand how to properly use them um, to best support them. Um, things like financial literacy, things like um, even as simple as filling out a check. If they don't have someone in their corner who's able to show this to them, like average youth do with either guardians or parents or whoever, whatever parental figures are in their life, um, youth can get intimidated by that because they don't have someone to show them. And like Whitney was mentioning earlier, there is a lot of stigma behind or that follows um, youth in care. So the last thing we want to do is bring more attention to ourselves and highlight that we don't know how to do something. Mm. That's an important point. Uh, Whitney, did you want to respond to that? And, you know, the fact that not all young adults are able to self-advocate for themselves. And that's why you need, as as uh, Yamaya mentioned, uh, liaisons uh, to help make sure that that information is getting uh, to these adults. That's um, one of the things that we actually stress. Well, not I won't say stress, but we push our students to do because a lot of the times it's not that they're lacking the resources. They're just scared to initiate a conversation and say, hey, you know, this is something that I really need. So we just, you know, give them that push. Like, OK, would you feel comfortable if I go with you or would you feel comfortable if I help you write an email and just, you know, reach out to your worker or reach out to, you know, uh, another nonprofit or, you know, just anyone if they need um, therapy or something along the lines. We always encourage our students to you know, reach out and, you know, get the help that they need. Because a lot of the time people do not like to ask for help. I remember when I was in care, I refused to ask for help. And, you know, sometimes it's just like you have to be vulnerable and you get nervous. And it's like, I don't want to get let down or I just don't want to ask because I feel like I got it. I feel like I can figure it out. I mean, I'm 25 right now. A lot of the times, you know, when I'm struggling, I just take it and I and I struggle. And I know I have a great support team, but, you know, it's just it's hard to do that. So if I'm not doing it, I can't really, like, you know, it's like that saying practice what you preach. So I'm adjusting to, you know, asking for help. And I tell my students, you know, I'm like, OK, if I can't do something, I'm going to go ask Chris or I'm going to ask your Maya or I'm going to talk to my mom or, you know, whatever. And then I'm like, it's OK to ask for help. So I stress that a lot with my students. You're hearing Whitney Rodriguez and Yamaya Gibson here on Where We Live, both student coordinators for Sun Scholars. This is a nonprofit run by former foster and adopted youth as we talk about um, some obstacles that young adults who are aging out of the child welfare system are facing and ways uh, to help them connect to, it sounds like, 
programs that are out there that can help them, you can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Whitney, you said reach out to your workers. Are you talking about uh, the social worker that DCF assigns to uh, a young adult still um, within uh, the foster care uh, system? And, you know, describe what kind of relationship uh, this young adult would have with the social worker to get this kind of information. So I don't want to keep talking about myself, but I had a, I was blessed to have a great worker. Um, we have a we had a great relationship. We we continue to have a relationship, but without that, what without having you know a great relationship with your worker or someone that you could talk to along the lines in the you know child welfare, like someone on your team is the is going to be a disconnect. It's going to be hard to get the things that you need. So a lot of the times, you know, I, I tell my students, oh, if they're not comfortable talking to them, I'm like, just try to have a regular, normal conversation with them. It doesn't have to be all about like your case or your, you know, what are your goals? Just, you know, like, hi, how are you? You know, th- this is what's going on. Just, you know, talk to them. Hmm. Uh, did you want to add to that, Yamaya? Again, the, not only um, having those resources available, but Earlier, we're thinking about um, the subsidies that are available, the stipends to help with rent. And uh, as a someone is pursuing their education, you know, to, it's a it's a relief to not have to worry about um, you know working um, multiple jobs to be able to make ends meet. Yeah, um, I think um, speaking to the um, navigating like the resource as resources aspect, like having people who are whose job entirety requires for them to connect these youth to these resources so in addition to having liaisons at dcf i think it would also be beneficial to have institutional agents at these universities at these trade schools who are also able to um swiftly navigate these resources they know what resources are available to these students. So even if a student is having difficulty explaining what they necessarily need, um, this person can chime in and help them figure out what exactly um, would be best to get them connected to. Um, Another point I wanted to add is that Sun Scholars is unique in the sense that um, we, which we already explained, you know, the resource coordination that we do with our students, the academics, um, and then the career readiness and career navigation post-graduation um that is a lot of ground that we cover however we are a small but mighty task force so we are only able to help a certain amount of students now if we replicate the these programs um across you know in other states and if we also hire more former foster youth and put them into these positions um, i do think that we'll see less issues with connectivity and comfortability with youth reaching out Hmm. And what some of the recommendations uh, that you list are also part of the Connecticut Voices for Children report on young yes. adults who are transitioning out of care. Um, so it's good to, to hear that perspective. We'll be hearing more from Connecticut Voices for Children in just a little bit. But coming up, we're going to be talking to the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. Uh, Whitney, what do you want to hear from them about how the state can better reach young adults who are aging out? Um, I, w- I, will, I would like to hear them you know, feel, be, be just a little bit more concerned, um, you know, doing all that they can to help support youth, not only while they're in care, but, you know, months after, like, for example, following up with 
how they're doing after their case is closed, but also being that extra, extra support when they're in care. My Referring back to my social worker, she was very adamant about making sure my FAFSA was complete. She made sure that I got my stipend on time um, when it was time for, for me to get my stipend. She also made sure like as far as like my mental health and everything like if I was involved in therapy and she didn't push it she didn't push it at all but she you know she always made sure that here here's the resources here's the things that you could look into and to this day she still sends me job opportunities um like volunteer opportunities just anything that she sees that something I could be interested in she'll always send it my way even if I'm not looking she'll just send it to me so I feel like that relationship while the child is in care is very, very, very important. So I, I want workers to be more like involved with their, um, with their, you know, their kids. And I know that workers are, they, they have a lot going on. They have their personal lives on top of work and everything like that. But I feel like it's very important for them to be active and know what's going on with the youth. Not just, you know, hey, here's your stipend. How's your grades? Like, no, you need to have that rapport. Make the child feel very comfortable enough to talk to you about things that are going on. That's Whitney Rodriguez and Yamai Gibson, both student coordinators for Sun Scholars, again, a nonprofit run by former foster and adopted youth. Thank you both for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Coming up where we live, we talk to the State Department of Children and Families. So what policies on the state and federal levels can help young adults aging out of the system? More after a short break. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go Team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In Connecticut, foster care youth age out of the system beginning at 18 through age 21. But early on in the pandemic, the State Department of Children and Families issued a moratorium on this and permitted a young adults under the age of 23 to re-enter care. This was done to help them avoid losing access to case management services and other resources. And during the pandemic, the number of young adults over the age of 19 in state care increased by 31 percent 
and many of them have experienced multiple traumas. That's in a recent report from Connecticut Voices for Children. Later, we'll hear from the report co-author and hear more about the recommendations for policymakers and multiple state agencies to improve the connection to services for young people with state systems involvement. Joining us now on Zoom is Dr. Linda Dixon, who's an administrator at the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. She oversees transitional supports and success. Linda, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Our listeners can join as well, especially if you have involvement in the child welfare system or have questions about uh, these programs to assist young adults aging out. The number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So we just heard from Yamaya and Whitney from Sun Scholars. I believe DCF contracts out to this uh, local nonprofit um, to help uh, with the, um, help these young adults who are aging out who need support. Um, but they both highlight, as well as this report, uh, Linda. You know, there's um, some issues with connecting young adults uh, in particular settings, whether they need help with housing or or higher education um, to find out what their eligibility is for these programs. And so, from your standpoint. What is still needed to help young adults transitioning out of care? I think um, Whitney and Yamaya really summarized it well. I think what's needed is pulling in credible messengers to help model and support our young adults as they move through this critical phase in their lives. So I think having young adults with this lived experience to sit there and relate and lead and teach skills is just so important. So I think that's a very big part of it. I also think having other stakeholders at the table when we're talking about individual planning for youth is critical and and we can do a better job with that going forward. When you mentioned other stakeholders, so DCF is the main child serving agency in our state, but if we're talking about young adults, are you referencing uh, when we hear about um, uh, um, issue with connecting uh, in higher ed settings, uh, some of these young adults to programs that, you know, the department, uh, the higher ed department uh, or the state education department can uh, think about ways uh, to reach out or also Department of Housing or Department of Social Services. So who are these stakeholders, Linda? Sure. It's really who you listed. It's other adult agencies that might be working with a young adult in the future. And it's really anyone who's important in a young adult's life. So in this administration, collaboration and partnership is really a top priority. So we revised some of our discharge policies and we're in the implementation phase of, of some of those changes. We want everyone who's involved in a young adult's life at the table helping to coordinate that warm handoff. Mm. What did you think about the points that um, the, the young women raised from Sun Scholars about you know how social workers that are assigned by DCF uh, to help these young adults you know how they can be more involved in connecting them to programs? Can you refer- talk about that at all? Sure. And one thing really stuck with me, and, and it was the message of urgency. And and we hope that our workforce really takes. Um, this work with adolescents very seriously. So that's one of our values is is urgency in working with our young adults, connecting with them when they're in care or if they choose to stay with us after 18. We have 850 young adults, 16 and up, that we work with. And I think 
touching base with them regularly, talking to them, texting to them, finding the best way to communicate throughout their journey is important. And, and we have people now who check in on our young adults when they leave us 30, 60, and 90 days post-discharge to keep a relationship. So we've done a lot of work and we know we have a lot of work to do in the future. Mm. I mentioned you're administrator of DCF's Transitional Supports and Success. And so um, when you think about um, how to further assist them, especially in these trying times uh, during the pandemic, what happens after the 90 days, uh, Linda? And is that where uh, you know DCF and other agencies need to do a better job in reaching to these young people? Yeah, I think our work here in transitional supports and success and the regions, it really starts when a teenager is around 14. The planning really starts. And we try to do a really good assessment of strengths and work with a young adult on what they want to do in the future. I think constant contact is important. And I think pulling in other supports, and we can certainly do a better job making sure that our young adults know what's available, but pulling in those various supports to let young adults know what they have, to support them in their in their journey is very important. We mentioned these multiple um, stakeholders, so Department of Housing and Labor, Office of Higher Education, the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, and DSS. Do we know, do these departments collect data that, you know, can figure out that if somebody's reaching out for help, that they, you know, have been uh, in the foster care system, and so better to identify what their needs are moving forward? Sure. I mean, I can speak for DCF. Um, we actually, when we were revising our policies, we looked at data on 850 youth in our in our care. And that's part of why we changed a lot of policies like making it easier to re-enter after 90 days. Other agencies do collect data and sometimes sharing data between agencies has some barriers. We've been able to navigate that in the past and I'm sure we can do that in the future. Um, we here in TSS, Transitional Supports and Success, we like to talk about cross-system data sharing, and you just have to work out the logistics. And I, th- I think we are all curious about how our young adults do in the future. We have to start building those skills as early as possible. Mm-hmm. I referenced the report and the fact that many of uh, these foster care youth uh, who uh, become young adults uh, have also experienced multiple traumas. And so when we think about uh, the point where they age out of the system, Linda, and the recommendations from Connecticut Voices for Children's report on extending that age so that they would still have uh, those supports and access to programs, you know, what's DCF's opinion on that and what is that age? Well, I mean, when I think, uh, I'll give you my own opinion first. I, I, I want it all for kids, right? I want us to work on skills and help youth launch successfully into adulthood. And I also want to hold on to them for as long as possible and give them the option to stay. So I want them to have all of those options on the table. I think for the department, we'd be willing to consider um, some statute changes that would be al- that would allow us to keep our young adults to 23, but I think the language would have to be very carefully picked and chosen because sometimes young adults might be better served in a specialized agency depending on their individual needs. I also think that there could be some resource issues, but everything is negotiable in the best interest of our young adults. Mm. And what would need what would you need from, say, the Connecticut General Assembly uh, to make that happen? Or is that something that the DCF could act on its own? 
Well, I think it's not a policy change, so we could not do this on our own. We we do allow young adults to stay with us to 23, depending on their individual circumstances. So we do allow that to happen. Uh, um, I think if it was going to be for all young adults up to like 26, sometimes people talk about that or they talk to 27, we would certainly need staffing resources, um, additional dollars to help support the young adults in our in our care. You're hearing Dr. Linda Dixon again. She's an administrator of the Connecticut Department of Children and Families um, who oversees the transitional supports and success uh, for uh, DCF. And so moving forward, there have been efforts uh, by DCF uh, to make sure that these young adults are independent. And I think there's a vital program uh, that exists. Can you can you talk about that and also how you bring in what the work that Sun Scholars is doing uh, to support these young adults? Sure. So we we know here that there's stubborn outcomes for uh, transitional age youth exiting foster care. So that's 16 and up. And you look at national studies, large scale longitudinal studies and earlier studies in Connecticut written by advocacy groups and various groups. And we knew that there was a risk for adverse outcomes for youth leaving our care. And it was sobering. So we wanted to do better and COVID gave us this opportunity. It just shined this light on what youth in foster care have always needed and better opportunities, stability and relationships. That came up in Whitney and Jemiah's points, the importance of relationships. So we knew we had to act, we knew we had to shake things up and we knew we had to revise everything. So we looked at our policies, we talked to stakeholders, we reviewed reports by advocates we did literature reviews and we came up with this just a wholesale redo of our policies and we call it vital voice and choice innovative thorough and accountable authentic youth engagement and life launch and we think we just developed a new approach that gives youth progressively more control over their individual planning and part of our approach is capturing youth voice and we think that's central in both system reform and individual planning. So Sun Scholars is a great example of capturing youth voice, building on it and and working with people most impacted by a system to change that system. And concretely, we focused on improving housing supports, navigating challenges in relationships, education and vocational challenges with a goal to eliminate disconnection of transitional age youth from communities, school, families, and jobs. So right now, I mean, I'm inspired by what I heard from Sun. We also have various paid positions in different areas in our department as well. So this is an intentional effort to build on authentic youth engagement. We've got a youth ambassador role. We have a youth advisory board for LGBTQIA practice. We have young adults consulting with our workforce, our Academy for Workforce Development, and young adults on advisory boards for our federal plans. So we try to pull them in anywhere that we can. It hasn't been easy in a pandemic. Um, I think a lot of our young adults want that face-to-face contact and they've told us that, and it's very difficult to sustain this kind of uh, work um, virtually. We've also created a lot of tangible materials, housing planning tools for our workforce, improved discharge inventories, and we have to do a better job making sure that our young adults are aware of the supports out there. And I think that um, that gets to the credible messenger piece. Mm. 
Uh, when we talked earlier about the criteria for young adults to stay within uh, DCF care through age 23, that's only if they enroll in higher education, Linda. So what happens to uh, the young adult at 18 or 19 um, who may still need supports, who may have experienced multiple traumas, and you know what, what is left for them in terms of case management? Yeah, we we um, also offer post-secondary education. We allow youth to work and we allow them to be in a work training program as well. So we will support youth as they embark on a journey and try to figure it out. So I, I think that's available to them. We have a full array of clinical and substance abuse supports available to our young adults as well, as well as the stipend. And that was mentioned before to cover rent, housing. We also work with our other state partners to expand summer programming and create paid employment for our youth over the summer and teach them skills. So one example is a partnership with DEEP where we're teaching young adults and paying them $1,200 for a couple of weeks of work to learn conservation skills. So those are the things that we're doing for all of our youth. Mm. And what have been the outcomes when I mentioned, you mentioned the number 850 um, 14 and over uh, that um, you had referenced earlier. And so when we think about uh, the, the ones who go on the track of higher ed versus those who maybe sign up for um, these workforce training programs, how does DCF know that they're doing well? Well, I think, um, like I said, the outcomes for youth exiting foster care are stubborn. And, and you can see that. There's something called the National Youth Transition Database, and you can kind of see the outcomes nationally. I think we want to do better in preventing homelessness. We want to do better in making sure our youth go to college and to Jemiah and Whitney's point, complete college, complete that when they choose to go. So we actually eased up on our reentry requirements. And before the moratorium even started, we outreached to our young adults and offered them reentry to those who laughed if they were having a difficult time. So our outcomes are reflected in, in NIDID data and, and in follow-up data that our division does. And I think we can do a lot better honing skills in jobs, um, financial literacy, and education. You've been hearing Dr. Linda Dixon again, an administrator for the Connecticut Department of Children and Families. She oversees transitional supports and success. Linda, thank you for giving us the DCF's perspective. We appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Connecticut Voices for Children and hear from another organization working to reach young adults in need of housing so they don't experience homelessness. You can join us too, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. We've been talking about a new report from Connecticut Voices for Children focused on young adults who age out of the foster care system and the obstacles they face in getting education, finding employment, and housing. The co-author of the report joins us now on Zoom, Dr. Lauren Ruth, Research and Policy Director with Connecticut Voices for Children. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, Lucy. So how would you respond to what uh, Dr. Linda Dixon shared from DCF's perspective and, and how you, the, the Connecticut Voices for Children is recommending you know, specific uh, changes to help young adults who are aging out? Sure, thank you. So 
Um, I've had the, the pleasure of working with Dr. Linda Dixon for a number of years and have seen her personal passion and investment for making sure that young people have everything that DCF could possibly give them as they exit care. And um, during the pandemic, you heard about the federal moratorium on young people aging out of care, as well as the increase in Chafee funding. And Connecticut used that moment to hit pause and to really redo their policies and practices for young people aging out of care. And it's gonna take a while to see the impacts of these and a while for, um, for DCF staff across the various regions to get used to the new policies and get used to implementing those. But we saw some really incredible impacts um, for these young people during the moratorium. So the number of young adults, people aged 18 and over that stayed in DCF care increased by 31%. And even though initially employment dropped at the beginning of the pandemic, um, by the fall of 2021, part-time employment for young people ages 18 and over in DCF care increased by 23% and full-time employment for young people ages 18 and over more than doubled. Um, we also saw that Young adults ages 18 and 19 attaining their high school diploma was higher in the fall of 2021 than even pre-pandemic. And for young people who left DCF care and found themselves in a situation ability, DCF expanded their START program that um, is administered by the Connection Inc. And it provides wraparound services for unstably housed young people. So as the result of this expansion, START was able to provide services and supports for 53 unstably housed former foster youth and help them get back on their feet. But as Dr. Dixon mentioned, the moratorium ended in September. And since then about 220 young people have transitioned out of care or begun the process of transitioning out of care. And they're gonna find themselves perhaps needing services from other state departments. Um, and these departments may not, some of them are, and some of them aren't equipped to help young people who have lots of trauma and might be in immediately precarious situations. Um, in many cases, these agencies may not be able to even identify that the young person who's coming to them has a history with DCF and may not have a family support network. So we, you know, we know that staying in DCF care isn't always the best option for young people. Some young people get to that age of 18 and are ready to launch on their own or think that they're ready to launch on their own. Um, but for some young people, staying in care is the right choice. And we think the data during the moratorium showed that this extra runway can do a lot of help for some young people to help them find work, finish an educational program, learn to manage their money and secure safe and stable housing. So and that was the, one of the reasons why we recommended extending this, this age that young people can stay in care. Right. So the uh, Connecticut Voices recommends that, that uh, these young people can be extended in care through age uh, 26. And what about the data collection? I had asked earlier uh, Dr. Linda Dixon with uh, DCF about, you know, how these other stakeholders, these other agencies that might interface with young adults, you know, how they know, um, you know, who they're um, 
helping in terms of the fact that they might be in uh, um, formally in foster care and ways that you know there can be more connectivity and communication between these stakeholders Lauren Sure. Um, so it really varies agency by agency um, the Department of Social Services because they provide Medicaid for youth in foster care have the ability to to identify who they're working with um, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services has a program specifically for young people exiting care called the Young Adult Services or YAS program. And Department of Housing um, has a specialist in young people. And so they've begun um, processes to better unpack data. But when speaking with the Department of Labor, they have some programs specifically for young people in DCF care, but then they have other programs that young people in DCF care or who have left DCF care may be accessing where the data comes program by program rather than being something where, you know, someone at the Department of Labor can easily look it up mm -hmm. and, and do a match. Um, that's just one example. Um, Office of Higher Ed, I, I actually don't know how their data collection system works. Um, I wasn't able to to speak with them about that. So in some cases, there's the ability for an agency to identify, I'm helping someone who could need immediate services versus I'm helping someone who probably has some, some help through their family should they need to wait a week or two for services. Um, in other instances, there's not the ability to identify that. Um, we know that from work that the Juvenile Justice Policy and Oversight Committee has done that connecting data across agencies is a really arduous process. It's one where a um, memorandum of understanding is needed and there are federal limitations for what data can and cannot be shared, but it's possible. And so one of our recommendations was to really figure out how do we do this in a way that is informed by youth voice and respectful of um, youth privacy within the data, but to still create a system of understanding where there are gaps for young people who have transitioned out of care beyond the National Youth and Transition Database. And Lauren, I wanted to hear more about, you know, when we think about the services that these young adults need, that includes uh, making sure that they have housing. Uh, that's so important. Uh, joining us now on Zoom is Stacey Violante Cody, who, Cote rather, who's an attorney and director of operation at the Center for Children's Advocacy. Stacey, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me, Lucy, and thank you for gathering such a great group of uh, advocates for youth and young adults. So you are also director of a homeless youth advocacy project called Right Direction. So tell us about that project and you know why you're focused on this, particularly with this population. Sure. Uh, I'm an attorney at the Center for Children's Advocacy. And here at the center, we have um, multiple attorneys working to support youth and young adults who are either in the foster care system um, or exiting from the foster care system or looking to enter the foster care system. And I think uh, many of the speakers today have spoken about the particular vulnerabilities of this population um, 
And we know, um, as Dr. Dixon pointed out, some of these stubborn outcomes in terms of the number of young people who exit child welfare and touch uh, the homeless system. And so um, our work at the center is to provide not only individual legal representation and advocacy to support what youth and young adults would like to see happen uh, in their cases and in their plans and in their uh, next steps, uh, but also to advocate at a systemic and policy level for for practice and policy changes and resources uh, to do the work. I understand that you've researched what you know how other states are are um, thinking about this and helping young adults as they transition. You know, are there policies that um, could work here in our state that you see are maybe already working and have potential? Yes, so I'm um, really pleased, and I, and I um, really support the department's work in terms of the uh, vital practice guide that uh, Dr. Dixon spoke about earlier. Um, A a lot of the housing section in that work, um, in that practice guide, and as well as uh, the easing of the uh, requirements um, to re-enter DCF if you you had left and would like to re-enter, Um, came from a cross-agency task group uh, where we worked with uh, Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, DCF, uh, Department of Housing, advocates, um, to look at what other states have done, to look at um, ways in which practice can uh, put the young people in the driver's seat, can... um, amplify the voices of young people, can give uh, more credence to permanency and making sure that the important stakeholders in a young person's life will uh, be a permanent resource for them and have transition periods that allow young people, uh, if their plan doesn't work out, to do some replanning. Um, and making sure that there's backup situations for initial plans um, that may not work out. And so we were really pleased to see that some of that work we did together um, really uh, landed in that vital uh, practice guide. You know, and apropos of the point that um, Dr. Ruth made and, and Dr. Dixon made, it really does take a coming together of Uh, different agencies to support these young adults. And um, at the Center for Children's Advocacy, we'd really like to see uh, all of the agencies coming together on a regularized basis, um, as has been done in the juvenile justice field uh, in Connecticut, to have a policy and oversight committee in the child welfare field to bring those resources to bear, to do that cross-agency collaboration and to break down some of those barriers around data collection and data sharing um, that Dr. Ruth uh, and Dr. Dixon spoke to earlier. 
Uh, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I wanted to go back to Lauren Ruth, again, Research and Policy Director with Connecticut Voices for Children. Uh, we know that the pandemic, um, you know, uh, exacerbated a lot of these obstacles that these young adults would have normally um, faced uh, without a pandemic. And when we think about the importance of mental health, uh, Lauren, you know, how do we know that they're getting access uh, to important um, services and resources to, to help them? Can you talk about that at all? To a certain extent, yeah. Um, so I mentioned that the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services has a young adult service program specifically for young people who are of transition age out of DCF care. Um, it's a it's a great program, um, but it is limited to young people who have really extensive needs. And during the pandemic, we've been seeing that a an overwhelming chunk of young people have developed um, behavioral health needs due to the impact of losing family members and grief, um, as well as isolation from from peers and from people that they we're used to interacting with and just the disruption of daily routine is really unhealthy for people. Um, and so a lot of young people may need services, but won't have them available through the young adult services program. I know the legislature has done a lot of work to try and expand access to um, mobile um, crisis services. And, um, but that's, you know, just one program and still getting in to see a counselor regularly is challenging, especially um, for young people who have left DCF care and don't have a social worker to help facilitate that. Uh, the report that uh, you and your other co-author put together for Connecticut Voices for Children is on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live, the link for listeners uh, who want to learn more. But, you know, in this legislative session, uh, you know, what can or what would you like to see policymakers do related to the recommendations from this report? We've got about a minute, Lauren. Thank you. So we we know that the um, Higher Education Committee has raised a bill that we're very excited about um, to extend the college tuition and fee exemption for former foster youth up to age 30. Um, Representative Josh Elliott has championed this, and that would allow young people who left DCF care but find themselves in a better position to complete a college degree to go back or for young people who were able to stick through their bachelor's degree to pursue a graduate um, education. As mentioned, um, we also recommended extending the age of care um, that youth can opt to stay in care in legislation. Currently in legislation, it's only 21. And so while DCF is able to offer extended services to some youth, they can't offer it to every youth. They don't have the resources for that. Um, we also heard from young people that they really wanted liaisons within other departments and agencies outside of DCF. So when they go to a Department of Labor or the Workforce Development Boards, they want someone there with lived experience to help them. Um, someone who knows what it's like to be in their shoes, but also knows that the systems of workforce support or higher education support 
And so that was a recommendation. We're we're out of time. Lauren Ruth, Research and Policy Director for Connecticut Voices for Children. Thank you for coming on. And Stacey Violante-Cote, also with the Center for Children's Advocacy. Today's show produced by Katie Pellico. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.